Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in Luke chapter number 11. And of course, we are continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke. We're making our way uh, through this Gospel. We're on a journey with Jesus, uh, verse by verse, through the Gospel of Luke. And we find ourselves tonight in Luke chapter number 11. And uh, we're going to be in verses 27 through 32 tonight. And I want you to notice in verse 27, in, in these uh, verses that we're going to deal with tonight, you'll notice that there is a theme to these uh, verses. And the theme begins in verse 27, though verse 27 is not necessarily connected to the other verses, but you'll, you'll notice this theme. There in Luke eleven twenty-seven, the Bible says this, And it came to pass, as he, this is of course the Lord Jesus Christ, spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. And of course, this uh, woman lifted up her voice in the midst of this group, and she said, Blessed is, and she's, uh, you know, praising and, and blessing, of course, Mary, uh, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. She says, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. And this, this might be the first instance of Mariology in all of uh, history, you know, because we have this woman here who is uh, offering praises to Mary, the mother of our Lord. And, you know, I'm not going to preach on the subject of Mary and Mariology tonight because, honestly, I, I've actually taught extensively on the subject of Mariology just recently as we've been going through the Luke series. Um, it's came up in other places, and we've actually came here to Luke, 27, Luke chapter 11 and verse 27 and looked at it. So I, I'm not going to talk about that tonight. Uh, obviously, we don't believe that she's the mediatrix. We don't believe that Mary is someone that you uh, should pray to. The Bible says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And, uh, and of course, we do believe that Mary was a very godly woman and uh, highly favored of the Lord. Uh, but she was a sinner like anybody else. She needed Christ to save her like anybody else. So I'm not going to preach on the subject of Mariology, but I, I do want you to notice that this verse, this woman lifting up her voice. The Bible says she lifted it. She's, it says, uh, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the past which thou hast sucked. This, this whole episode that's going on here uh, really sets the theme for the next six verses. Because the theme of the next six verses, as you'll see as we travel through it, is this idea that Jesus is greater than. And that Jesus is greater than everyone, really. And there's a theme here regarding the fact that Jesus is greater. Specifically, we're going to see than Jonah, and that he's greater than Solomon. This is a theme that we've already seen in the book of Luke. If you remember, we, when we studied the Mount of Transfiguration, we saw that Peter made that big mistake when he tried to put Jesus on the same level as Moses and uh, Elijah the prophet. And, and the whole, the, uh, of, of course, God the Father made a big deal about that and about the fact that, you know, Jesus Christ is greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. We're going to see here that he's greater than Jonah. He's greater than Solomon. But this verse kind of sets that theme in place because here you have this woman trying to lift up Mary over the Lord Jesus Christ. She says, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. 
And of course, I, you know, she's trying to honor uh, uh, the mother of the, of the Lord, but she's really, you know, praising this woman, Mary, when she should be praising the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because you'll notice in verse 28 that whenever this happens in the Bible, whenever there's an instance in the Bible, it's almost like, it's, I mean, I shouldn't say it's almost like God knew. I was going to say it's almost like God knew. It's not almost like God knew. God knew. But if you don't believe the Bible, then you might think it's almost like God knew that people were going to worship Mary at some point. Because here you have this woman saying, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps thou hast sucked. And Jesus responds to her, verse 28, But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And, and that's a true statement. If there's ever been a true statement, that's a true statement. You want to be blessed by God? Hear the word of God and keep it. Um, but we see this, this theme start here. This idea that Jesus is often compared to, tried to uh, put in the same level as, and sometimes even has uh, others be put above him. And the theme of the Word of God is that Jesus is greater. And look, this is something, today you'll talk to the Muslim, and they'll say, well, Jesus was a good prophet, but he's not greater than Muhammad, you know, or, or he's at least on the same level as Muhammad, which they don't believe that. Today you've got all sorts of religions that are trying to put Jesus in his place uh, according to their understanding. But I'm here to tell you something, and the Word of God is here to tell you something, that Jesus is greater than all of them. He's, he's greater, and that's the theme that we see in this uh, passage. So notice there in verse 29, we get into this idea. Luke eleven twenty nine, And when the people were gathered thick together. I love that phrase there. When the people were gathered thick together. It ought to excite us when people want to gather in order to hear the Word of God. It ought to be an exciting thing for us. You know, I'm, uh, there's a, a 178 people here tonight, almost 180 people here tonight. It ought to excite us that, that, that people want to come out on a Wednesday night to a Wednesday night Bible study. Why? For, for what reason? We're not putting on some big uh, musical production here. We're not putting on some big entertainment production here. Uh, you know, I'm thankful for the music, and the music tonight was beautiful and all those things. But what is the reason that people are attracted to a place like Verity Baptist Church? It's because of the preaching of the Word of God. It's because of the fact that people want to hear the Word of God. They want to learn the Word of God. So I love that phrase when it says, and when the people were gathered thick together, gathered thick together, they, uh, he began to say, they gathered together to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, he says, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign. If you remember earlier in this chapter, we saw that, the, that there was those who were, uh, we, we talked about it on Sunday, they were uh, blaspheming against the Lord Jesus Christ. They were saying, yeah, he cast out devils by Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And they also accused him and they said that they wanted to see a sign from him. Which is interesting because the Lord Jesus Christ is performing miracles. He's, you know, casting out devils. He's healing people. And they say, yeah, but can you show us a sign? So Jesus now begins to turn his attention towards these individuals. And we're going to see as we continue in the book of Luke that Jesus begins to kind of become very hostile towards the Pharisees and towards the lawyers and towards the religious leaders. And here he says to them, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign and there shall no sign be given it 
but the sign of Jonas the prophet. So I want you to notice that Jesus in the Gospels is often asked for a sign. Will you give us a sign? And he said, I'm going to give you one sign, the sign of the prophet Jonas. And if you're taking notes tonight, and I would always encourage you to take notes, on the back of the course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things. Number one, I'd like you to notice that Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jesus is greater than Jonah, and we see the sign of Jonah, the prophet Jonah. And I, and, and, and I want you to maybe jot this down the sign of Jonah, because we're going to come back and then we're going to see Jonah as a sign. And those are two different things. But first, I want you to notice the sign of Jonah, because Jesus says, no sign uh, shall be given it, but the sign of Jonah's the prophet. Now, you're there in Luke chapter 11. That's our text for tonight. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. You go backwards. You go past the book of Mark into the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, and look at verse 39. This idea of the sign of Jonah is a common theme uh, throughout the Gospels. Matthew 12 and verse 39. Notice what the Bible says, but he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Because remember, they're asking for a sign. Will you show us a sign that you are the Messiah? And he says, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but... Jesus says, here's the the one sign I'm going to give you, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Look at verse 40. For as Jonas... Now, you say, what is the sign of the prophet Jonas? Here's the sign. As Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So if you want to know, well, what's the, what's the sign of the prophet Jonas? What is Jesus referring to when he says, I'm not going to give you any signs except the sign of Jonas? And by the way, the sign of Jonas was a sign that was not only given to the people of that generation, but it's a sign that's been given to all of us. It is the sign that tells you that Jesus was who he said he was. You say, what is the sign? It is, it is the sign of the fact that in the same way as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, let's go to the, the book of Jonah, if you would. Jonah chapter 2. Obviously, in the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament, you've got those big major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. After those major prophets, you've got the small books of the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. And do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there in Jonah because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Jonah chapter 2. And let's talk about this sign of the prophet Jonah. The fact that he was in the whale's belly three days and three nights. And in that same way, Jesus would spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, the sign is this. Jonah chapter 2. In verse 1, and, and, and I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, I, we did a whole Sunday morning series through the entire book of Jonah. Uh, So I'm not going to go through the entire story of Jonah. I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God. I want you to notice where Jonah is at this time. Remember, he got thrown overboard, and he got swallowed up by by a whale. The Bible says, When Jonah prayed unto the Lord in uh, his God, notice, out of the fish's belly. Out of the fish's belly. So according to Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1, where is Jonah when he prayed Unto the Lord is God. He is in the fish's belly. He is in the belly of the whale. Verse 2 And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Now, I want you to notice what he says, because remember, Jonah is what? He is a prophet. 
He's called Jonah the prophet, the sign of the prophet Jonas. So when, when, when Jonah was in the belly of the whale, the Bible tells us that he prophesied in that belly, in the belly of the whale, he prophesied, and Jesus points back to that prophecy and says, hey, do you want a sign? I'll give you a sign, the sign of the prophet Jonas, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So I want you to understand something. Jesus tells us, look, the three days and three nights that I'm going to give you as a sign are going to be similar in length, three days and three nights, to Jonah being in the whale's belly. But what's interesting is when you go to Jonah chapter 2 and you find Jonah in the whale's belly, he actually begins to prophesy. And when he prophesies, he says this in verse 2. And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Notice these words. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Now, according to Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1, where is Jonah? He's in the fish's belly, right? Verse 1. But in verse 2, he says, no, I'm in the belly of hell. So then which one is it? Are you in the belly of the whale or are you in the belly of hell? And here's what you need to understand. Jonah really was in the whale's belly, but he is prophesying about the fact that while he's in that whale's belly for three days and three nights, he prophesies about the fact that there's a coming Messiah who is going to also spend three days and three nights, not in the whale's belly, but in the belly of hell. Jesus said, in the same way that I'll be three days, that Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, people like to argue about, well, what's the heart of the earth? You know, when Jesus died, the question is, where did he go? And if you ask different Christians, you'll get different answers, and especially the dispensationalists. They like to tell you, well, you know, his body was just in the, in, in the grave, or he went to, uh, his soul went to like some resort in hell, you know, called Abraham's armpit, and they, they try to give you all these things. But look, allow the Bible to define itself. I mean, it's Wednesday night Bible study, right? Allow the Bible to define itself. Jesus said, I'm going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he said, like Jonah. And then you go back to Jonah, and Jonah says, three days and three nights in the belly of hell. So wouldn't that tell you that the heart of the earth is hell? And then, by the way, you know, you study hell all throughout the Bible, and all throughout the Bible we're told that hell is downward. It's in the nether parts of the earth. And then science finally catches up to the Word of God, and you get, you get these uh, images that they put out in school, the same school where they teach you there is no God. They give you an image of the earth, you know, cut in half, and right in the heart of the earth, in the middle of earth, you know what they'll tell you there's, there, there is in the heart of the earth? Fire. Lava, fire, flame. Well, that's exactly what the Bible tells us. I'm glad you finally caught up to the Word of God. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus went to hell for three days and three nights. Now, people will often they'll think, like, that's blasphemous to say that. But listen, Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to this earth to pay for my sins. Well, let me explain something to you. The penalty for my sin is not only a physical death, but it is also the second death of the lake of fire of a punishment in hell. In order for Jesus to pay for my sins, he not only had to die physically, he also went down to hell, the Bible tells us, for three days and three nights, and he suffered an eternity of punishment to pay for our sins. Jonah chapter 2, 
Look at verse 6. Notice what Jonah says. He says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Again, Jonah's not literally in hell. He's prophesying. He says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. People will say, well, how could Jesus, you know, pay for an eternity of my uh, punishment in hell in three days and three nights? Well, Jesus is God. He's an eternal being. And, you know, there's, there, there's three that make up the eternal being, which is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So I don't know how it all works. You'll have to get to heaven and ask him. But I think that he just spent one day in hell for all, every member of the Godhead. And, and he just spent, you know, an eternal God was able to pay for an eternity of hell in that amount of time. You say, why did he have to resurrect after three days? Well, notice, notice Jonah chapter 2 and verse 6. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. This is all referring to hell being in the center of the earth. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. So I want you to, I want you to understand something. Notice something. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is in the whale's belly, and he's prophesying, and he's saying, I'm in hell, though we know he's not in hell. He's in the whale's belly. But you can connect that back to Matthew 12, where Jesus says, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But that's not the only connection to Jesus paying for our sins in hell. Because in verse 6, he says, Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. I want you to notice that phrase. Brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Now go to Acts chapter 2. Keep your finger there in Jonah's, uh, Jonah chapter 2, and go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 31. People say, I don't know, I've never heard this, that Jesus went to hell. Well, we just signed. And, you know, the Bible tells us in Isaiah that his soul was made an offering for our sin. But, but here's a verse that you, that you cannot argue with. Amen. Acts 2.31. He, seeing this before, this is talking about David, who prophesied in the book of Psalms. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. This is a prophecy of the resurrection of Christ. What is the prophecy? That his soul was not left in hell. Yeah, I don't think Jesus went to hell. Well, that's what the Bible says that his soul was not left in hell. Well, I think that's Hades. You don't speak Greek. You don't know what the Hades you're talking about. It's hell is what the Bible says. And by the way, in, in, in the Greek language, Hades is hell. All right? Oh, it's Hades. That's just a different language for calling it hell. That his soul was not left in hell. But here's the, here's the connection back to Jonah. Neither his flesh did see corruption. Remember how Jonah 2.6 said, he says, Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption? He says that his soul was not left in hell. Neither his flesh did see corruption. You say, why did he have to resurrect after three days and three nights? Here's why. Because after three days and three nights, his body, his physical body would have began to corrupt. To decay. So in Jonah, we, we see two connections to this prophecy of Jesus going to hell to pay for our sins. The fact that Jonah said, while Jonah tells us, the book of Jonah tells us that he was in the fish's belly, Jonah says that he cried from the belly of hell. Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then Jonah says, I was brought up 
uh, uh, thou has brought up my life from corruption. And, and David in Psalm says, and it's quoted in Acts, that he spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, the belly of hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So look, do you really think, go back to, to Luke chapter 11. Keep your place in Jonah. Go back to Luke chapter 11. Do you really think it's a coincidence that Jesus says that the sign I'm going to give you is that I'm going to spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, like Jonah spent three days and three nights in the well's belly? And then, and then you go to the passage when Jonah is in the well's belly, and he's prophesying about being in hell, and he's prophesying about the fact that he's going to come out of the belly, yet thou hast brought up my life, because God is not going to allow him to see corruption in that belly. And then Acts 2 31 tells us that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Those, those are not coincidences. That is the sign of Jonas. You say, what is the sign of Jonas? Here's the sign of Jonas. The only sign you need to know about the Lord Jesus Christ is this, that he died on the cross for your sins. His soul went down to hell for three days and three nights to pay for your sins, and then he resurrected from the grave. That's all you need to know. That's the sign. You say, I need a sign. Here's a sign. He, 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 he was born, he lived, he died, he was buried, his soul went down to hell, and he rose up from the dead as a payment for you. So why would he do that? To pay for your sins. Amen. To pay for your salvation. So we see the sign of Jonah. But then I want you to notice, go back to Luke 11. Because in verse 29, the Bible says, and when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. So we see the sign of Jonas. But then I want you to notice in verse 30, Jesus says this, Luke eleven thirty: For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. So in verse 29, we're told of the sign of Jonas. But in verse 30, we're told that Jonas was a sign. So we have the sign of Jonah, and then we have Jonah as a sign. Those are two different things. You say, what is the reference to Jonah as a sign? Go, go, go back to Jonah, if you would. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. And while you turn there, let me, let me explain this to you. The Bible tells us that the sign of the prophet Jonas is the fact that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. He spent three days and three nights there. While he was there, he prophesied about not himself, but somebody who's going to spend three days and three nights in the belly of hell and that they would be resurrected or brought up out of that belly before they saw corruption. But then Jesus says, not only is there the sign of Jonas, but Jonas himself was a sign. Now, what does that mean? Well, it, it could mean a couple of things. First of all, it could mean that, that Jonas himself physically was a sign. I would imagine, because if you remember, when, when Jonah was a backslidden preacher, God told him to go to Nineveh, and he went the opposite way. And that's why he ends up in, in the ocean, and he ends up being swallowed by a whale. By the way, let me just remind some of you, you can try to run from God, but you can't outrun God. So I'll go in the opposite direction. I'll, I'll, I'll get on a, uh, on a boat and go the opposite direction. God will meet you there. His whale will meet you there. So, so Jonah's backslidden. But when, when he gets right with God, you know, I would imagine that if you get swallowed by a whale, you're probably going to get right with God. When he gets right with God, the, the whale, you know, vomits him up near Nineveh. And, 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 and Jonah walks to Nineveh and, be, and, for, and begins to preach 
the judgment of God. But, you know, I, I, I could imagine what Jonah looked I mean, I don't know what you would look like after spending three days and three nights in a whale's belly, but you probably didn't look good. I mean, if you all know why, you know, why, why was Jonah so effective? Because Jonah led one of the greatest revivals recorded in Scripture. And if you want to say, why was Jonah so effective? You know, it might have been the fact that he just scared the living daylights out of these people. You know, I don't know what you would look like after spending three nights in, in, in the stomach of a whale with all the whale uh, you know, the belly acids and all those things, but he must have looked s- something because he walked in and he said, God's going to judge you. And they're like, let's repent. <laughs> you know, this guy. So, so Jonah, you know, was assigned probably just the way he looked. I mean, he probably looked crazy and dazed and, and whatever. But, but, but I believe there's more to it than just that. Not only was the sign of Jonah given, but Jonah and his story was also given as a sign. Now, I preached the whole book of Jonah, so I'm not going to go through this whole uh, thing uh, tonight. But let me just quickly, if you're, if, since it's Bible study, if you're interested in these things, maybe you can jot these things down. And let me give you just some things from the story of Jonah that show us that Jonah was a sign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, he was cast forth into the sea, Jonah 1.12. And the sacrifice of Jonah was similar to the sacrifice of Christ. Jonah was cast into the sea. Why? To save the rest of the sailors. Remember, the sailors were in this boat, and God brought this big storm. They all thought they were going to die. And Jonah said, hey, if you want to survive, you have to sacrifice me. And they threw him overboard in order, they sacrificed Jonah in order for them to be saved. Well, you know what? Jesus was also sacrificed and crucified that all mankind might be saved. So in that way, Jonah was a sign of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, you'll remember that when Jonah tells them, hey, you got to cast me over, you got to throw me off the ship if you want the storm to cease. If you remember, the Bible says in Jonah 1.13 that after he told them that, the men rode hard to bring it to land. So even though Jonah said, look, this is from God. You got to cast me over the boat if you want to be saved. They still tried to row hard to bring it to land. They tried to work their way to the shore without having to sacrifice Jonah. What's interesting because today you teach people, hey, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He did all of it. His soul went to hell for three days and three nights. He paid for your sins. And people are like, well, I'll just still try to, you know, repent. I'll just still try to live a good life. I'll just still try to to do it on my own. You know, today people are trying to row hard to get themselves to heaven. Just like these sailors were trying to row hard to bring it to land. But when the sailors finally give in, here's another way that Jonah is is a sign of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the, the sailors finally gave in, you know, here's what they said. When they threw Jonah off the boat in Jonah 1.14, this is what they said to God. And lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, has done as it hath pleased thee. You know, the Bible tells us in Jonah 1.14 that the sacrifice of Jonah was pleasing to the Lord. What's interesting because Isaiah 53.10 tells us about the sacrifice of Christ, that yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So both the sacrifice of Jonah was pleasing and the sacrifice of Christ were both pleasing to the Lord. Not only were they pleasing to the Lord, but both the sacrifice of Jonah and the sacrifice of Christ were appeasing to the Lord. Because the Bible says in Jonah 1.5 that when they cast him forth into the sea, the sea ceased from raging. Jonah had brought 
as a result of being on that boat, the judgment and the wrath of God in the form of a sea. But when they cast Jonah into the sea, the Bible says that, that, that the sea calmed. The sea was raging, but it calmed because his sacrifice was appeasing to God. Well, you know, the same way the Bible says about unbelievers and about you and I, before we were saved, that the wrath of God was upon us. But when we received the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, that sacrifice appeased his wrath. Of course, we already talked about it, but the payment for three days and three nights, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, in the same way that Jesus was in the the belly of hell for three days and three nights, and then both, not only did they both spend three days and three nights in the belly of the whale in hell, but both came up and were resurrected after three days and three nights. So you see how the story of Jonah has a lot of parallels to the story of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why I believe that Jesus not only refers to the sign of the prophet Jonas, but he also refers to Jonas as a sign, that he himself was a sign, and that his story in his life has a lot of parallels in regards to being able to preach the gospel, even from that story. Go to Jonah chapter 3. And let me, just, let, me, let me just say this as we just continue with this idea of Jonah. We saw, we saw the prophet Jonah, the sign of Jonah, and Jonah as a sign. But then I want you to notice the men of Nineveh. And I'm going to show you the men of Nineveh in Jonah because Luke brings up the men of Nineveh, and we're going to talk about them. There's a debate in regards to whether the people of Nineveh were spiritually saved or whether they were just physically saved when Jonah shows up to Nineveh and preaches the judgment of God. People will argue about this. You know, did Jonah just show up and he preached the judgment of God and they repented and therefore God, you know, chose not to judge their nation and to destroy their nation and it had nothing to do with salvation. It was just the, the saving of the nation, which that's a true thing. You know, God will, will judge nations, and, and he'll judge nations because of the actions of those nations, and, and the people of those nations could change their actions and withhold the hand of God's punishment, but that doesn't mean that they're saved. But then, of course, then you have the idea that, no, Jonah preached the gospel to them, and they got saved. So there's a debate. You know, did they get saved, or were they, were they what we might call spiritually saved, or were they just physically saved? meaning that, they're, that, that they were saved just from the physical wrath and judgment of God. I'll give you my uh, belief, and I'll show you from the Bible why I believe this, but I believe that they were both, that they were both saved spiritually and that they were also, of course, saved uh, physically. You say, well, why do you believe that? You know, I may have to prove that. I didn't get a lot of amens on that one, so maybe some of you guys aren't with me on that one. You say, why do you believe that they were spiritually saved? Jonah 3.5. So the people of Nineveh, here's why I believe they got saved. For the people of Nineveh, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Let me ask you a question. How does somebody get saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So the people of Nineveh believed God, is what the Bible tells us. And you say, well, I don't know. Does that mean that they just that they got saved? Well, here's what's interesting, and you don't have to turn here, I'll just read this for you. Romans chapter 4 and verse 3 tells us about another famous uh, character in the Old Testament that we know was saved. And here's what it says about his salvation. Romans 4, 3, for what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. 
So Romans 4.3 says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness and we know he got saved. So when the Bible says that the men in Nineveh believed God, you know, they got saved because that's what salvation is. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So the people of Nineveh believed God. So I believe that they were spiritually saved and that's not the only reason I believe they're spiritually saved. I'm going to show you another passage that's just going to prove that without a shadow of a doubt. It's going to put the final nail in that coffin. Because these people, look, Jonah led one of the greatest revivals in history. And look, and if you don't think they got saved, I'm not against you. You, you know, it's not something worth fighting about. But I, I'm just telling you, the Bible is clear about the fact that these people got saved because they believed God, number one. The same wording that's used about Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. But there's another reason why, why you can believe that the men in Nineveh got saved. I'll show you that in a minute. But let me just show you, I also believe that they got physically saved. Now, this is something that a lot of Christians struggle with because the average Christian is lame, unfortunately. I didn't expect a lot of amens on that one either. <laughs> a lot of Christians are just backslidden. A lot of Christians are worldly. A lot of Christians just don't have a genuine walk with God. A lot of Christians just, you know, are just watching TV, watching Hollywood, just doing everything that the world does. So it's hard for them to understand this concept. But let me tell you something. Not only, and, and we obviously preach a lot, we preach against work salvation and all those things. So sometimes people misunderstand this, but let me help you understand something. Okay, salvation and sanctification are two different things. Amen. Being saved and being a follower or a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ are two different things. You can be saved and not be a follower. You could be a follower and not be saved. Judas Iscariot. So what God wants is that you be saved and you be a follower. Now, this is why it's hard for many people to get this, many Christians, because a lot of Christians, in fact, most Christians are saved and not followers. They're not following Christ. You say, well, how can you say that I'm not following Christ? Because the Bible says that if we follow Christ, we'd follow in his footsteps. We would do the things that he does. We would have the attitude. Paul said that Christ would live in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's not the average Christian. The average Christian, unfortunately, is saved and not following Christ. But there are some people out there. You may not be aware of this. You may have never seen this. You may think this is not real because you've not experienced it. But you know that there are some people out there who both get saved and get sold out for God all at the same time. I mean, that's what we see in Jonah. These people got saved and they got right with God. You know, I mean, I can, one example I give you in my life, and I didn't ask for permission to use this as an example because I knew she would say no, and I don't care. But one example is my wife. I mean, my wife, I got her saved when we were 17 years old, and the day that she got saved, she became three to thrive soul winner, read her Bible every day, prayed, t- began tithing, got rid of her worldly clothes. I mean, the same day. You say, was she doing that to get saved? Or did she that? No, she just, she just got saved and got right with God all on the same day. And has just been living that life for the last 19 years. So this, now, you say, you, you see, some of you are so cold in your Christianity. You're so stinking lukewarm. You, you can't even fathom what it means to actually love God. 
to actually not be a stinking worldly Christian listening to rock music, watching the world's filth in the movies. You, you don't even understand what that means because you've never experienced that. But I'm here to tell you, some people actually walk with God. Some people actually love Jesus. Some people actually read the Bible and then apply it to their lives. And they actually try to do what God tells them to do. That actually exists, in case you didn't know that. And you could do it. So these people, I want you to notice, they got saved. They believed God, but they also repented. You said to be saved? No. But they did repent. Look at verse 6. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne... And he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. By the way, men, you would be shocked the influence that leaders could have. You say, why did Nineveh, why did Nineveh, so many people get saved in Nineveh? Part of it had to do because the king himself got saved and right with God. The word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by uh, the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn. I want you to notice, what is it that these people are doing? They are repenting. In fact, let me just help you understand something. They are repenting of their sins. You say, prove that. Well, notice it says, he says, let them turn. The word repent means to to turn. Now, it could be physically a physical turn, or it could just be a turn in your mind going from unbelief to belief. But the word repent just in and of itself means turn. People often get confused because they're like, well, you know, you teach that you don't have to repent of your sins to be saved, but all throughout the Gospels, the word repent is mentioned. Yeah, but you know what's not mentioned in the Gospels regarding salvation? Repent of your sins. That phrase doesn't exist. You say, well, but, but, but John Baptist preached repentance. I preach repentance. You got to turn from unbelief to Christ. You got to turn from being an atheist to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to turn from uh, Muhammad and from Hinduism and from Mormonism and from Catholicism and from work salvation and from trusting in yourself to trusting on Jesus Christ. That's repentance. Do I have to stop drinking alcohol to be saved? No. That's turning from your sins. What did these people do? Look at it. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Notice what, notice what the king says. Who can tell if God will turn? You say, I don't know if the word turn means repent. Okay, let the Bible define itself. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? And turn away. They're saying, maybe God will Turn. What do you mean by that? Maybe God will repent. Why are you using those words synonymously? Because they both mean the same thing. The Bible's its own dictionary. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And look, let me just prove to you that you don't have to turn from your sins to be saved. Because look, you know what the Bible says? You know what the Bible is very clear about? That salvation is by grace and not of works. Not of works of righteousness, which we have done, is what the Bible says. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. 
But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The Bible is very clear that salvation is not of works. Say, so, well, I, I, think, I don't think you have to work your way to hell. I just think you've got to repent of your sins. Okay, well, here's the problem with that. God defines repenting of your sins as works. Say, so, prove it. Jonah 3.10. And God saw their faith. Is that what it says? God saw their work. God, God, God saw their work. Well, what did he see? That they turned, repented from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. So I want you, you say, but, but these people, so you're saying that they got saved because they repented? No, they got saved when they believed God. Amen. But then they said, hey, let's not just get saved. Let's become followers of the Lord. And they repented. They turned from their evil way. And the Bible says that God saw their work that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. So notice these people were saved both spiritually and physically. Both. Amen. You say, I'm still not convinced that they were saved spiritually. I mean, just because it says that, uh, that, that the men of Nineveh believed God. Well, how did you get saved? I believed God. <laughs> how did Abraham get saved? Abraham believed God. I don't know. I'm still not sure. Well, let me just put the final nail in the coffin that these people did get saved. Luke 11, verse 32. Because Jesus is talking about how he's greater than the prophet Jonas. And he says, you want a sign? No sign is going to be given unto you, except for the sign of the prophet Jonas. As he was three days and three nights in the world's belly, so shall I be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said, and not only do I want to talk to you about the sign of the prophet Jonas, he said, I want you to remember Jonas as a sign, and we talked about that. But then Jesus brings up the men of Nineveh. Notice what he says, Luke eleven thirty two, 32. The men of Nineveh, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, to the Jews that are not believing on him at the time, the people asking him for a sign. He said, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment. What's the judgment? Well, look, there's only two judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ where believers are not judged to go to heaven. They're already in heaven. They're judged to be rewarded for the things they did in their lives. And then there's the great white throne where people get condemned and go to hell for trusting in their own works, is what Revelation tells us. What judgment is this? And the men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. The men of Nineveh are going to be at the great white throne and they're going to be looking, Jesus says, to the Jews of Jesus' day. And Jesus said, they're going to condemn you. Why are they going to condemn them? For they repented at the preaching of Jonas. You say, what repentance? Both. The one required for salvation, they turned from unbelief to belief. And also the one required for sanctification, they turned from their evil way. The men of Nineveh are going to be at the judgment and they are going to condemn the men of the generation of Jesus. Why are they going to condemn them? For they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So I think it's pretty clear that the men of Nineveh got saved. I mean, if they're going to be at the judgment and they're going to be like, hey, we got saved because some crazy looking guy got spat out of a whale and told us to believe, and you had Jesus, and you rejected him? So look, it's clear that these men were saved. They're at the judgment, and they're on the right side. They're helping condemn. 
you better believe, you say, at the Great White Throne. You know, we're going to, at the Great White Throne, I do believe that there's going to be a lot of pain and hurt there for us to see people we love be cast into hell. That's why the Bible says that God's going to have to wipe away the tears from our eyes. But there are some other people that we're not going to be that sad about. I'm going to be like, let me throw them in, God. I mean, and these men in Nineveh, they're rising up. And they're condemning the men of the generation of Jesus, for they repented of the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So we see, number one, that Jesus is greater than Jonah, the sign of Jonah. But then secondly tonight, and, and look, that was the, the longest part, right? The, 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 there's only two points, not three points, two points, and the second point is short. Look at verse 31. Point number one, Jesus is greater than Jonah, the sign of Jonah. And then here's point number two, Jesus is greater than Solomon. We see the wisdom of Solomon. Notice who's brought up. Luke eleven thirty one, The queen of the south. Who's this a reference to? This is a reference to the, you might remember from the Old Testament as the queen of Sheba. In, in 1 Kings chapter 10 and 2 Chronicles chapter 9. This, you know, it's funny because I didn't really do this on, on purpose because I already had this plan. But this Sunday, I'm going to be preaching about the queen of Sheba. It's just a coincidence that we happen to deal with her here as well. But Jesus brings up the queen of Sheba. He says, the queen of Sheba shall rise up in the judgment. So I want you to notice, when the queen of Sheba, in 1 Kings 10, 2 Chronicles 9, when she goes to visit Solomon, the Bible tells us that she asked him all sorts of hard questions, and Solomon you know, said everything to her that was in her heart, and he answered all her, answer, her questions. Something that... It's not really told us in the Old Testament, but now here it's clear is that Solomon got her saved. I mean, she got saved as a result of going to see Solomon. And notice, the Bible says that the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment. So she's going to be at the judgment like the men of Nineveh with the men of this generation and condemn them. She's going to condemn them. Why? For notice what the Bible says, she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. If you remember the story of the Queen of Sheba, she comes from a long journey and she brings all these gifts and she brings all these people to come and hear because she heard of the wisdom of Solomon. She comes to see whether the things that she heard were true. And Solomon not only answers all of her questions, he gets her saved. And at the end of the whole thing, she says, the half was not told me. She said, this is better than I heard. She came all the way. Look, here's what the Bible says, Luke eleven thirty one. For she came from the uttermost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Notice the words. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So she traveled a long ways to hear Solomon. And Jesus says, a greater than Solomon is here. And you're rejecting me is what Jesus is telling these people. By the way, let me just say this. That the queen of Sheba is highlighted. I mean, what, what, would, what would you do to get a shout-out in the, in the Bible? You know what I mean? I mean, some of you may not want a shout-out in the Bible because it'll be like, you know, you're all backslidden or something. Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. I don't want that shout-out. <laughs> but, you know, this woman is only mentioned a few times in the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 10, 2 Chronicles chapter 9, and then a handful of times in the gospel, all the same, the same passage. Jesus brings her up. And you know what he brings her up for? He says, this lady traveled a long ways 
to hear the truth. And Jesus says, and she didn't even come to hear me. Jesus says, greater than Solomon. She says, she came to hear Solomon. Jesus says, Solomon was good, but I'm better. But, but But he's praising this woman and saying, she was willing. She came from the uttermost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And you know, tonight, tonight at Verity Baptist Church, we've got people sitting in this room that commuted a long ways just to show up here for a Wednesday night Bible study. And you know, to, to all of you, I, I, I want to I give you the Queen of Sheba award. And maybe it doesn't mean anything for me because a greater than me is definitely here, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? If, if the Queen of Sheba gets, you know, special recognition from the Lord Jesus Christ for being willing to travel to hear the truth, I believe all of you who commute and have commuted and have made the effort and have paid for the gas and have got, you know, you, 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 you leave an hour early, an hour and a half early, and, and you put in that work, I, I believe that God is looking down from heaven and he's well pleased. For she came from the utmost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Go to Luke chapter 12. Look at verse 27. We saw the queen of Sheba. She got saved when she came to see Solomon. And she's, she's giving accolades because she traveled to seek the truth. But just real quickly, look, look at Solomon. Because look, for Jesus to say to a bunch of Jews... I'm greater than Solomon, was a big deal. Because, and I'll just give you one example, Luke 12, 27, Consider the lilies how great, they toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. When, when, if you talk, if you would have talked to someone from the nation of Israel, and even today, if you talk to Jews today, and you talk to them about the kings of, of Israel, David would be seen as, as the greatest king. I mean, David was the greatest king to lead the nation of Israel, and, and, and obviously we, we know all the adventures and the things about David. But if you would have asked about glory, about power, status, success, strength, prosperity, Solomon would take, take that place as the, great, as the most glorious king of Israel. And the Bible tells us that he may... He, he made gold like the stones uh, 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 on the ground. There was so much prosperity during his reign. But you know, Solomon in all his glory, Jesus would still say, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So what we learned tonight from this passage, I mean, there's lots that we learned. But just a couple of takeaways. Go to Luke chapter 9. Real quickly, Luke chapter 9. The takeaways are these. Jesus is greater. It doesn't matter who, who, who do you want to bring up. Mary? Blessed are the paps that thou hast luck. You know, Jesus is greater. You want to bring up Jonah? Jesus is greater. You want to bring up Solomon? Jesus is greater. Go to the book of Hebrews. What's the entire book? One of these days soon, I'm sure, we'll do a verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews. What's the book of Hebrews about? Especially chapter 1. It's about the fact that Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the tabernacle. Look, the theme of the entire New Testament and Old Testament is this. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. You want to compare it to Moses? He's greater. Elijah? He's greater. Luke 9.35, the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Peter tries to put Jesus and Moses and Elijah on the same level. Luke 9.35, And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. He said, what's the great takeaway? Here's the great takeaway. Don't miss it. Jesus is greater than Mary. Jesus is greater than Jonah. He's greater than Solomon. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the tabernacle. He's greater than anyone who's ever lived. And, and don't, don't, don't miss this. He's greater than you. Amen. Say, what do you mean? You know, the reason that people are going to die and go to hell is because they can't stop trusting in themselves. It's not enough. It's not enough for them to say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. His soul went down to hell. He resurrected from my, the grave. And all of that pays for all of my sins. And I don't have to do anything. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to keep it once I have it. I don't have to repent of anything. All I have to do is believe on him. And people say, no. No, I, I, I still have to do something. I still have to repent of my sins. I, I could still lose my salvation if I commit suicide. I mean, if I commit suicide, then, then you know what that means? If you believe that you could do something to lose your salvation, here's what you believe, that you're greater than Jesus. You know what Jesus said? He said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. Amen. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Amen. You know, when it comes to salvation, you say, what do I got to believe regarding salvation? Here's what you got to believe, that Jesus is greater. That he's greater than you, he's better than you, he's more powerful than you, and what he did is all you need Amen. to be saved. And as long as you believe, no, well, I could still lose it if I, I could still not be saved if I, then all you're doing is putting yourself above Jesus and saying, no, I'm greater. Jesus is greater. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these passages of Scripture, these stories that have been documented for us to learn and study. Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn what the Bible says. I pray when it comes to salvation that you would help us, Lord, to acknowledge that Jesus is greater. There's nothing I've got to do. He's done it all. All I've got to do is put my trust in him. I pray you'd help us to learn that, to study that, to believe that, to preach that to others. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're now, Brother Moses, come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you that if you've not yet signed up for the Soul Winning Seminar, you can do that tonight uh, on your communication card. Let us know if you're planning on being.